Hello and welcome to Weekly Open. I'm Brian. We've got Cred and Don both on the line. Thanks for being here with us today. Let me tell you about our partners over at FTX. Go to weeklyopen.com slash FTX where you can trade today directly from one asset to the other super easily through their mobile app. They've also got all kinds of other features within the FTX ecosystem. You can check them out if you go to weeklyopen.com slash FTX. Once again, thanks to them for being our partners. Let's get to the show. Cred, Don, let's see. Cred, you're uh, in the middle today. How's it going? I'm doing well. Uh, I know you were in the Twitter space just before this, so you're all warmed up. But Don, we have we have an advantage here because Ledger was talking to two bored apes about NFTs. So anything we say <laughs> is going to sound like extremely intelligent in comparison. Oh, so. nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, oh. obviously. It was, it was a good show. It was a good show. I had fun listening to Ledger. You know, they asked him about like fundamentals and blockchains, and mm. he was like, "Well, I like price and momentum." I was like, "That's my boy," you know. <laughs> but yeah, doing well. Good, Don. How's it going? Uh, perfectly fine. I mean, just looking at the market, not so fine, but everything else is okay. I mean, this chop fest has to kind of turn everyone insane, I think. Um, but as long as you don't look, you can pretend it's not happening. So that's what I've been doing. I mean, I blink here and the S&P is up almost 2%. And uh, ETH sitting here at the 200-week moving average, Bitcoin's doing something, but it's like... You believe this for a couple hours and then it just does a turbo newt candle and then it spends the next 24 hours recovering from it. I mean, we've just been doing this for weeks now, Don. When are we going to have some resolution? Um, I think we, like we kind of had it, honestly, like the S&P. And this is something that uh, Craig and I have talked about a couple of times where I was like, I could see this close below support on the S&P, right? Like this, the S&P chart. Um, I could see us close below support and then retest resistance. Like everyone gets excited on the move back up into the next month and then just continue nuking. Um, that's kind of my view right now. I could see some upside in the next few days, maybe even like a week, but, uh, I'd be surprised if that continued through resistance. Um, and I think that's gonna, gonna have impact obviously on Bitcoin. I mean, even if you look right now, because you've talked about like this, like S and P movement, a lot of timeframes, you look at this, right? <laughs> I mean, like every time the S and P goes up, Bitcoin kind of follows suit. Every time the S and P dumps, uh, so does uh, Bitcoin. So I feel like we're still in this kind of weird zone where the S and P is directing most of this stuff and um, giving it close below monthly support, uh, it makes sense for me to just kind of be be a little bit patient like you said one one new candle could reverse it all uh so i'm i'm like a little bit more more uh, chill now like i've been trading a lot in the last few weeks i don't really see a reason to anymore so i'm just gonna take it easy back to vacation yep uh <laughs> rates rates are moving quite a lot this morning uh, is there an emergency Fed meeting or not? Uh, have y'all uh, seen this? There's been like a, hasn't like the the UK bought some stuff. I don't know. I, I'm not from the UK, but yeah, Ledger, the thing you're referring to, I think it was. I don't think it's as unplanned as it was supposed to be, or as emergency as as it first kind of started spiraling around on Twitter. Um, I think it's a bit like the Credit Suisse stuff, where the, the truth is in the nuance, but. Mm. At these prices, everyone wants to turn it into the next Lehman Brothers panic type moment. Yeah. Um, 
And is that supposed to be bullish? <laughs> like a little... uh, at this at this point, I don't even know. I think like as long as Jay Powell keeps using the word pain at his presses, you can kind of just chill out. <laughs> you know, like even when we met in Austin, he was just like, "Oh, pain ahead, it's going to be tricky," and we're sat there scratching our heads, wondering what comes next. Yeah. Um. And and I think there was a window to pivot, and it didn't materialize. We didn't get it. So I think with these kinds of trends, you just have to take stuff at face value. Like if someone says, you know. If, Fed's tightening, you take that at face value. If support breaks and stuff is downtrending, you take that at face value. And if you get a pivot or you get a trap, whatever it may be, that that's nice. But you know, positioning for that in the absence of it actually happening is, um, I don't know, like being early to reversals hasn't been particularly rewarded this this entire market. So I'm not like itching to be that guy. And you know, it's been a fresh quarter, new monthly charts since our last show, and I kind of shared Don's view that at least as far as indices go. Uh, a lot of stuff just broke down and broke I mean, support. That's not just breaking down. Look at this candle. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> this is it's bad. Um, and I just think it's worth taking that at face value, right? Like it's a downtrend. Supports are breaking. Like I'm not going to be the genius here and um, stepping in front of things unless I've got really good reason to do so. You know, the, the kind of argument that's floating in the background is that financial conditions are becoming so distressed that the Fed may be forced to pivot to kind of uh, ameliorate some of those things, just like the similar to the Bank of England intervention when pen pension funds were about to get liquidated on their gilts. Uh, but I don't think that's a, that's more of a band-aid, I think, than some sort of trend reversal moment, if that makes any sense. Can y'all explain some of these things to the us, the audience? Um, what's, what's going on with pension funds and um, what was the panic? Well, I mean, Bond's a new king, right? Like bonds are new king, and a lot of these pension funds are leveraged to the tits uh, in that kind of government debt market. And there was also a liquidity issue um, to do with gilts specifically. So gilts being the UK version. And we had a new kind of a change in government. It's the same party, but a different party leader. And they kind of reshuffle the cabinet to come out with new policies. Uh, and, and the market didn't really like those policies at all. So the timing of it was, was all really rough. Uh, so ended up being a kind of a, a perfect storm of a liquidity crisis in the government debt slash guilt market. And a lot of these pension funds, which are quite sensitive to those price moves when, you know, there was there was, you know, they were moved against. And also the liquidity was completely absent in that same window. So the Bank of England literally stepped in to stabilize the market uh, so that there could be a more orderly rebalancing or sell off or whatever you want to call it. Um, now that's been called a kind of, you know, this kind of central bank intervention to stabilize the guilt market is the one sentence summary. And again, people are using that as a kind of, oh, look, they're pivoting already. This is going to spread to the US, etc. I'm personally not compelled by that. I think if anything, the Bank of England is like, especially now that they're fighting against fiscal, which is something I find personally frustrating, as expressed last show. Uh, but I think if anything, that's going to embolden their uh, rate hikes. Uh, generally speaking. So um, yeah, the TLDR of the whole thing is uh, stuff is breaking. <laughs> uh, central banks are jumping in and acting to stabilize as far as they reasonably can. Some market participants are interpreting that as a um, pivot or a, a kind of shift in behavior compared to just kind of linear tightening. Uh, I think that might be true in the short term, but bigger picture, uh, at least from the current positioning, uh, I, I still think rate hikes are the name of the game. Hmm. And the... Uh... When the big announcement came out about the injection, that was well, it was last Monday, wasn't it? While we were talking, because you were talking about how your your dad nailed the bottom or something. Um, 
Because oh, mate, he bottom he bottom ticked that chart. That's yeah, it had an immediate yeah. impact, I guess, on the uh, British pound. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, the he whales rescued that around these currencies. By, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by himself. We were just at breakfast. <laughs> he just took out his, you know, I was, I was on my phone and we were at breakfast and, you know, he'd just come back from the bathroom or whatever. And I'm like, oh, look at the pound. It's whatever. And I, and I told him, I think it's things a good area. And it looks like a pukey move. And he just, he just made a phone call and got a quote a phone call. over the phone. And, and bottom tick. And I was like, the hey, elder, this is cool. The elder cred bottom tick. I know. I'm like, why isn't this genetically passed down? I always top tick when I try to bottom buy. So, I mean, clearly something's gone wrong in the <laughs> awesome. um, genetic, you know, process. Okay, just yeah, just makes a call. Cool Alfred, give me all the British <laughs> pound they've got at <laughs> yeah. 103. Sell me all you want and fuck <laughs> off or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know his broker's name's Alfred, by the way. It's got to be. It has to be. It has to be. Yeah. Um. So, right. I mean, macro is like distressed, right? I mean, it seems that yeah. way. But people are also like the doom porn is at also at an all time high. Like yes. people are salivating at the idea of like stuff going to zero and unemployment goes to a million and all these big blank banks blow up. And this is your Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers type of moment. Uh, and I understand the horniness, but I, I don't know. It, it's, it may be the timing is a bit off. And also just, I guess, morally, which is not something we kind of particularly dabble in as traders but there is like a very clear relationship between like mortality and suicides etc and also just like unemployment and in general kind of financial crises like these types of things apart from asset prices and stink bids and all that type of stuff they have a real material impact on like people's lives people's livelihoods and health and all that and then that, that's maybe from time to time worth reminding ourselves of and taking seriously when we're retweeting doom porn and salivating at the idea of everything breaking because those are people's jobs their livelihoods their homes and all that type of stuff or maybe i'm just too soft with age no i think that's appropriate um don you had talked about the dixie finding some resistance in the 113s um that was pretty much the top it was a a weekly wick at least um do you think this has continued consolidation ahead in response to some of this stuff or is it something that you don't dare to predict mm, i think yeah there's a good chance that it actually consolidates between like, I mean, the quarterly just seems pretty good. Um, that's where the resistance came from that I talked about last show. Um, so like this resistance here, the support here, uh, anything in between there would make sense to me. Um, but this is obviously a very, very strong trend, right? So this could just chill up here and then go for another push, which would be catastrophic, I think, for a lot of things. Global markets. Yes, that would fuck up everything. Um, but yeah, in general, I think we're at resistance. You don't want to be like too crazy, um, like expecting the, the dollar to just completely um, overrun everything. But if it consolidates at resistance or like low, like around like 110, 115, uh, I think there's a chance it actually breaks to the upside. If it obviously comes back down, uh, I think like just TA wise, be like an interesting interesting area to look for dollar strength again is um, is the level of the dollar breaking things or is the pace of the dollar move breaking things uh, i think it's the pace honestly more than anything i think um, it's both yeah I, yeah i mean obviously both right but whenever you have something that happens this quickly um for something this big you just get problems right when like let's say this move happened over two years mm. uh, people and countries would adapt, would I'm adapt, pretty sure. Yeah. But this is like, this is so quick that it's just, um, because when it's this quick, right, there is no orderly escape. Like if you make bets and you're stuck in a big bet, um, 
and I mean countries make big bets. It's just how it goes. Um, and you cannot get out and there's no liquidity. Like this is like proper squeezy uh, behavior, right? Where you just fuck people over. Um, it's very predatory, I guess. Not probably not on purpose, but it's just these kind of moves are brutal. Um, these slow grinds are much easier to deal with. Uh, so yeah, I think it's mainly the speed. Obviously, also uh, the move itself because it's quite quite enormous. But yeah. Yeah, it's a rate of change thing, right? Similar to tightening in general. It's not just like where you end up. It's the speed at which you get there. And if, yes. if you don't give like consumers, businesses, etc., like ample time to adjust, um, yeah, the velocity just starts to break things. We're seeing that in the dollar, seeing that in the bond market, credit market, you know, all that type of stuff. As much as it's problematic for the US, it's catastrophic for most of the world, right? Because this is, well, all what we're looking at is, the world the way the world economy all kind of blends together because at the same time that rates are increasing and your cost of borrow increases also your income may be localized and your debt may be uh dollarized and you're you're losing twice right like you're getting hit on both sides of that equation and you're just getting obliterated in in a global market yeah I mean, in general, like it, it, these kind of moves, they just lead to stuff breaking and to people breaking and to companies breaking and like in general to bad things happening. So like Fred said earlier in the show, like it's not necessarily something that anyone should be celebrating. I think it's like, it's something that we're dealing with and you can take advantage of it if you want to. Um, and I mean, as a trader, you should be, um, but it's not something like I, I do agree wholeheartedly with, with the notion that like, this is not something to celebrate. It just isn't. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about 120 on the Dixie breaking things. And, you know, we're still quite a, <laughs> quite a move off of that. And it's, it's definitely breaking things. Like the number of banks being rumored at risk is pretty high. Um, seems like the, the rate needs to chill. But uh, I don't know. Do y'all think this is a scenario again where the um, central banks are like, yeah, you know, we're going to respond as conditions require us, yada, yada. And then it ends up being that they went like months too long before responding to the point where the, the kind of the worst case scenario of the over response already is baked. Yes. <laughs> I think fucking it up both ways is very likely. You're late yeah. to hike. And then you're late to stop tightening. That just seems to make sense, especially when the entire credibility of the institution is at stake. You'd rather get it right and restore credibility for whatever. I mean, it's a question of whether they can ever do that, but at least at face value, right? I think it's reasonable to posit that, you know, the same people that were late to hike, you have no reason to believe suddenly their timing becomes impeccable as to when enough tightening has taken place, right? It just seems the entire rhythm is off. And if you get one side terribly wrong, the chances that you get the other side a bit completely right, in my, in my um, casual estimation, aren't, aren't terribly high, especially given, you know, how, I, I guess, forward the language has been with, we'll do it for as long as it takes. We don't really care about financial conditions or, you know, the, the labor market to a large extent, using the word pain. Uh, they just, I think they're almost laser focused on just bringing down inflation, uh, even if it results. I think they'd rather overcorrect than undercorrect, given that they're late. I kind of shoebox themselves into those terrible options, I think. But again, not a macro, you know, in case people are watching the show for the first time, we're not like macro experts or traders of these markets. We're just 
affected by virtue of everything being super correlated. So we've kind of had to learn <laughs> voluntarily or involuntarily. I'm just looking at some of the stuff in real life, you know, seven in, in the U S you've gone from 3% to 7% plus mortgage rates and also a much lower willingness to lend in less than a year. <laughs> That's just insane. Um, the impact that you have on, on markets when I'm, I, I just used um, housing market as an example, but it, it, it is across debt markets, right? It's across all of it. And, the economy runs on on swapping debt back and forth, and yeah. seems like there's uh, probably some some cracks in the in the in the system. It's the same in Europe, really. I've been looking at it as well, and it's the mortgage rates. It's all the same; like it's everywhere. Um, it's not only Europe either. It's in the Philippines. It's it's legitimately everywhere. The entire planet is dealing with it. So. Um, it's kind of it feels like this situation where everyone is just kind of waiting for someone or something to break um like you said like there's cracks showing and we're all just kind of waiting to see if it's actually gonna all like if there's gonna be like a little bit of an explosion or if it's gonna be a lot of an explosion or if it's actually gonna be somehow prevented which seems very unlikely um but yeah i mean i hope we're kind of flooding flooding at what is going to be like the dollar top and like in general where this all stops but uh, i don't know yeah, we've been trying too... that for six months right <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes yeah and i mean at some point we're going to be wrong on that front too if we continue with this right i don't think any of us are like aggressive enough to bottom tick um traditional markets or like top tick or whatever you want to call it we're probably going to be like a little bit on the on the pessimistic side of things um and then hopefully get on the train again before full steams ahead goes and the S&P goes up and everything like the, the bonds start going back up again and um, the Dixie starts cooling down. But I mean, I don't want to call it too early. I don't really think it makes sense. It's at resistance for me, like the, the Dixie is, um, but that doesn't really do too much. Uh, just still looks very, very strong. Yeah. I. I know you're talking about the monthly breakdowns, which I think is actually very warranted. I can't help but uh, see yet again a 200-week moving average that is just ripe with peak bearishness at the same time, right? Peak, 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 peak bearishness lately, and it just ticked that 200-week on the S&P. Um, at a bare minimum, I feel like we should be interested in that. Um, problem is, you know, we're all basically acting like, well, that just means we're here and we have here to go, or we're here and we have here to go. Uh, there's a lot of assumptions. When I listen to other things, like I listen to podcasts or something that has nothing to do with finance. And they're like, well, given that we have a recession on the way, <laughs> like as they preface what else they're going to talk about, <laughs> it's like, there's, does anyone other than Jay Powell believe that there's a potential for soft landing? You know, it's like, I'm at a loss. Can so many people be right? Um, you know, they were, they were right on the way up, I guess, for uh, parts of 2021. But it's just I, I'm kind of I'm kind of at a loss for for where we are in the market, and I don't know what to make of it. I think that's a pretty good way to say it because honestly, like it it, it all like 
it all diverges for me, right? I look at the S&P close to below monthly support. Um, obviously not a good thing. I look at Bitcoin still at weekly support. Um, not the worst look in the world, obviously not great given it's just spending weeks and weeks at that weekly support. And then the same thing is true for ETH, right? Where it's like, like, for example, like you can see that this is like just been very heavy on that support, but the support hasn't broken yet. And it's cycle support as well. Like it's where 2017, the 17 high basically come in, came in. So I think like this is in general, like a good area to buy. It's just, it's really, really tough to do so when you have uh, no confidence between, because I've had confidence before, right? Like I bought the support, I sold, um, made a bit of profit. Um, but now it's the situation where the S&P is actually like, for me anyway, looking like it wants to like bearishly retest an area of resistance. Um, and then you have Bitcoin at weekly support and you have ETH at weekly support and like making a decision in those kind of circumstances is really, really difficult, right? Because then um, the moment it goes $200 down, you're going to doubt your position, right? Because you're like, okay, maybe the S&P, maybe my, my view on the S&P is right. And then it goes up to 100 and you're like, ah, actually Bitcoin and ETH set weekly support. So they should be going up and it goes like... Whatever it does, you're going to feel like um, one or the other is going to be right. And then it's going to be really hard to hold on to it. And when I'm in that situation, I just don't trade because I know that like I could do stupid shit when, when I'm looking at this. And um, I'd rather not do stupid shit. <laughs> I've done enough stupid shit in my earlier trading career that I don't need to do it anymore. So I'm just, just giving, like taking it easy. Um, I honestly see both both sides um both sides make sense to me like being bullish here generally speaking really good idea being bearish here given that this seems really heavy also a good idea so it's like fuck trading that just doesn't make sense yeah there's some like 50 iq middle ground well 50 iq isn't very middle but in any case <laughs> not, not to midwit it but you, you know it's like you know nothing about this and you don't care which is completely understandable as far as bigger picture stuff goes i still think it's fair to assert that larger flows are driving kind of crypto prices or have been driving crypto prices you could make a case that the last you know two three weeks have been divergent in that indices have collapsed and crypto hasn't so is, is there some sort of relative strength there maybe uh, but that argument has been like unsupported for the entire year you know, the decoupled law meme has been like one of the worst trades available this entire year. So I think your bar for following it should be pretty damn high as far as what would actually constitute a decoupling. Um, the kind of top-down approach that we've had is, you know, if, you, if you've got like confluence, like Don said, you've got indices at like a plausible support and crypto at plausible support, and maybe you've even got like a catalyst or a narrative, then you can afford to take those kind of counter trend uh, trades. And even then it's like not huge swing trades, right? Bitcoin hasn't even retested, hasn't had the courtesy to retest 30K or any of the breakdowns. It's kind of been down only. So even in those scenarios, you're being very mercenary type of level to level. But I guess just bigger picture zoomed out, if you don't have that type of confluent mid-term, mid-timeframe setup, then bigger picture, I mean, Fed still wants to hike aggressively and S&P is still trending down. Uh, you, you, you want something on you know, in your favor or one of those to change to give you a bit of like either confluence or confidence, whatever it may be. Uh, and I think the last most recent monthly closed kind of deprived us of that. Um, as far as the levels go, I can screen share very quickly, just, you know, I can read out the levels as well for any audio only um, listeners to kind of give a sense of what we're talking about. 
So as far as the S&P goes, um, the monthly support that Don's been referring to, and we track this quite closely, both the first time round and uh, the subsequent retest, it's this mini kind of monthly cluster at 37.10 to 37.60. And that's the one that provided the first kind of visible bounce when market once market structure was cooked. And it took it right into resistance at 4,300. That was kind of the very sizable counter trend rally that we saw in risk indices. Uh, and now this most recent monthly and weekly close uh, at face value, it's just broke support, right? It's a breakdown. Now, and I know reclaim setups are very popular and the idea of it being a trap deviation and so on and so forth. But again, those are like trap setups by definition, which means they're more rare and that shouldn't be your kind of baseline expectation. I think the baseline expectation at face value is that a breakout's, the breakdown's a breakdown and a breakout is a breakout, especially if it's in line with the trend. And a breakdown in, th in this kind of context is very much in line with the trend. Uh, so I think if the market pushes up you know, this month, as it seems to be doing early month right now, into that 37, 3800 area, uh, that's technically speaking a high time frame rally into resistance. Now, if that wants to look constructive, you at least need a monthly close above that structure. So 3800 plus ideally. And then you can make a case that, hey, look, we've had a very one sided move. Uh, all the supports have been breaking, but now there's a shift in behavior where the support broke. It retested the 200 week moving average, as Ledger said, which is like somewhere near the bottom tick. And now it reclaimed a range for a change instead of continuing to break down. And then you can say, well, maybe we just get prolonged consolidation and a move from a trending to consolidation environment uh, between 3,700 and 41, 42, 4,300. I think that's reasonable, but that hasn't triggered yet, right? At face value, that's a break of support. And the retest into 38 is a retest of resistance. So in the past, like, like Don was, if you were buying kind of this retest on the monthly while crypto was at 20K and ETH was at whatever, then at least you had confluence on your side that yes, it's all downtrending and hiking and shit, but at least, you know, the cards are skewed in your favor. Uh, on this occasion, uh, that, that, that kind of doesn't exist anymore. So that's kind of a short-term pivot that I think is worth paying attention to if this green candle continues. And the same applies for the NASDAQ. There was a really good uh, and is a really good monthly cluster the upper boundary of which is 12.1 and the lower boundary of which is 11.1. Uh, and that was like very good support, both structurally, but also to trade. Like if you look at kind of a lot of the tick for tick to tick trading, uh, that was taking place like around the structure. It was very technical, actually, especially in the early half, moving from like range low to range high. You got your retests, your traps ups, like all, all of that was very good. Uh, but looking at the high time frame closes now, now that we've got the benefit of another monthly close, uh, it, it's not like a mega breakdown, but it certainly closed below that type of structure. Um, so you can expect if you know if you're on a short term trade, it your resistances are 11.1, and then if you get a monthly squeeze, you'll have to pay attention, I think, to the midpoint, which is eyeballing like 11.5, uh, and then 12k again. But the prevailing picture being, if you were looking for that type of multi layered confluence where you've got indices at support and crypto at support, and you maybe squeeze a bounce out of it, that that trade to a large extent is uh, far less clear, if not unavailable, compared to compared to previous months. And obviously, if we start looking for you know if this breakdown sticks. Uh, where support, you start looking at some pretty scary levels, I think, as far as the uh, S&P and the NASDAQ go. Uh, so that's kind of, I, I think, the um, the shift in available confluence <laughs> that has taken place is that previously, if you were buying crypto at its previous cycle supports, at least you can make a case that indices uh, had a higher likelihood of bouncing. And I think that likelihood has shifted from higher to lower, given at face value, the, those levels have kind of broken down, I think, at least is how I'm looking at it. I think everything y'all are saying is right and makes sense. If I didn't have this fear of the world ending, I'd be pretty much in a scenario where crypto-wise, I feel like it's 
very, very, very close to the bottom, like turbo bottom ready. Um, and in that, given that, if we're wrong and there's like greater consolidation or even recovery in everything else, it makes me think that there's tremendous upside from here for crypto. Um, in the with with like a, a long time frame lens, I'm not talking about up only today, um, but where you would see like a grindy bottom really shape. Um, maybe liquidity continue to decrease. Problem is, I don't know if that's going to occur now or like 50% lower. <laughs> you know, like either mm -hmm. one makes total sense. Uh, doesn't, you know what I mean? It's, uh, and, and, but the difference between it being now and 50% lower is just whether legacy breaks down further and whether legacy, uh, whether we have like six months and or, or a year in like active recession, um, and nobody in the world can answer that definitively right now. Yeah. Um, but I, in a typical environment where I have few concerns about the global economy, I'd be thinking cryptos at or very, very close to a bottom and it's well worth a dollar cost average. I would never talk anyone out of like buying Bitcoin around or below 20K. Um, long term, like I think that if you're prepared for for also having to buy 12k, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah. The thing is, right? Like, if you're a fan of crypto, and I mean, if you're watching the show, you probably are. Um, buying 20 or 12k, and Craig and I have been talking about this a lot, actually. Um, it, it's obviously a significant difference, right? But then again, if we're going to 60, 80, 100k, uh, you'd much rather have bought 20k than not having bought at all. Right. Um, so I think 20K is a good level to buy long term um, or below it is even better. Obviously, being greedy and waiting for those lower levels might not actually pay out because they might never hit. So it makes sense to kind of start buying early if you're someone that isn't trading this thing, but rather is investing in it. Right now, I'm as a trader, like I'm just going to hop on and hop off whenever I feel like it. I don't really mind missing out the bottom. Um, I kind of like buy liquidation cascades often enough. So I don't really like, I don't feel like I have to like bottom tick during a consolidation because I mean, that's not necessarily my style. Like if price gives me shit, like, uh, like way too long to actually buy, I usually just don't buy. Um, I'd much rather buy when, I have like a, an hour to buy and then it never comes back. That's kind of like, those are my favorite kind of buy setups in general. But if I was an investor, like this is like really, really good. These are really good prices, both for Bitcoin and I think also for ETH. Uh, everything else um, is a little bit more risky. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. It's mostly, okay, how greedy can I be uh, if I like crypto? If you don't like crypto, obviously, um, there's a chance that it goes to zero always. I think at this point, it's pretty unlikely. With every year that comes, it becomes more unlikely to go to zero. But um, yeah, I've, I still think there's a good chance that it actually does at some point. Um, so yeah, it depends on kind of your outlook, I think. If you're a trader, for me at least, there's no setup. If you're an investor, I think this is like a really good area, just long-term looking at it. And if you're a hater, I mean... You can bask in the glory, uh, not realizing that this thing went from a dollar to 70, almost 70,000, and it's now only back at 20K, so still 
much higher than any any kind of doubt that probably has been uh, when when they started kind of hating on it. So yeah, I should qualify these next statements that this is just based on like looking at timelines on Investopedia. <laughs> so given that, let's go look at the S and P in the nineteen seventies. Um, because <laughs> it's <laughs> oh yeah, some of my best trading years. Yeah, I remember them fondly. <laughs> um, so the, the Burns, I don't know if no, it doesn't click over. So in the winters of 1972 and 73, Burns began to worry about inflation. In 1973, inflation more than doubled to 8.8 percent. Later in the decade, it would go to 12 percent. By 1980, inflation was at 14 percent. So they start worrying. The market goes down. Then it, they had continued high inflation, but the market was no longer going down. Um, and I think that's just, it, there's interesting parallels there to me, right? Like peak fear of inflation, there was a large downward movement in the S&P. Um, and you had essentially lost 10 years in stocks. Um, if you look at just kind of, is this really a new breakout? And I don't know. I find I find that interesting that when inflation was at its peak, like people were getting punished in this, but the stock market was going up with lots of volatility, um, but eventually made like kind of a, a generational buying opportunity, right? Like that, then look. <laughs> and then you, I, I put it in, I took it off log as well to make it more fun. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, are we flushing for the, the buy opportunity to then be able to go back into a, uh, you know, a more favorable environment from a owning assets perspective, because with high inflation, theoretically, you don't really want cash, right? Like you would rather own productive assets. And maybe the problem is that the assets that were performing weren't particularly productive um, at, at the top of this last cycle. So anyway, just throwing that out there. I, I'm trying to challenge my own fear and bearishness of the world and all that kind of stuff. I mean, losing 10 years of price action kind of sounds horrifying because when, when you do that on the current uh, S&P chart, it takes you down 80%. Um, obviously, completely different market conditions, right? Because it was going sideways. But I do agree with you like that um, I don't think we have to necessarily bottom the moment it turns around, right? Like the moment inflation changes, um, oftentimes you get bottom before. Same with COVID and, and, and Bitcoin, right? Where you had like the COVID crash and the S&P was still going down and Bitcoin was starting to bottom much earlier. Just kind of look at these, like not much earlier, but a few days uh, anyway, like you saw strength there. Um, so I don't think like the peak inflation has to necessarily coincide with uh, where the markets uh, start bottoming, right? It's not like, okay, this is inflation and then it's going to go down and that's going to be like the markets are like this. And then the moment they do the same thing, like the moment peak inflation hits, they're going to bounce. I do actually agree with you that that's probably not going to happen. Like usually it's kind of like it's in advance uh, to like peak or it takes a while afterwards. It's not going to be perfect, perfect in my opinion anyway it's so it's a mechanism of like inflation expectations also affecting inflation even yeah. if it's not inflation per se right there's a kind of 
secondary effect to it. As for the 70s ledger, I mean, Alameda wasn't around then, so obviously the price action <laughs> is <laughs> in, incomparable. And it's funny that we talk about like wiping out 10 years of price action, etc. I mean, just wiping out the post-COVID moon would itself be extremely terrifying Extraordinary. for virtually everything, right? Uh, that, that on its own is, and that's just a couple of years. So, you know, lost decade, this, that, the other. It's like, listen, if we just kind of run back the pandemic gains, already everything looks significantly worse. I mean, a lot of the stuff has, but as far as the bigger picture, like indices, Bitcoin, et cetera, like COVID retrace, those aren't good prices. No, they're very <laughs> and, bad. And that's, and that's kind of what prices. you get. Very bad prices. The devs need to do something. Uh, but that, that's kind of what you get, right? Like, it's sort of the easy come, easy go thing. We had one of the most unfettered, insane, crazy, perfect storm stimulus bull markets ever. Uh, so the, the likelihood that you give a lot of that back, as we've seen to a large extent, uh, is also higher. Like, do you remember all the laws around, oh, Bitcoin has never retested its previous all-time high in a bear market or that type of stuff? It's, you know, none of that has been. And the 200-week moving average as well. You know, the, the past um, kind of benchmarks that we've had haven't been extremely useful in that regard. Um, but I agree with Don's also brought a point that, like, you know, if you're, if you're buying Bitcoin at 6K, then you definitely felt like a mug when it went to 3K, but you probably felt pretty good and no one was laughing at you for buying 6K when it went to 70K, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess you can, can extend the analogy to current levels. It's like, you know, 20K structurally and historically and whatever is like, I'm, I'm not going to shake a stick at anyone for buying 20K. Uh, they might feel like a mug if it goes to 14, 12, 10K, but if they're right about crypto, uh, and it goes, you know, it exceeds previous cycles all time high, or at least gets there or does whatever. No one's going to point at you and say, haha, you were buying 20 instead of 12, right? It's kind of a distinction without a difference if you're right about what follows. And I think that's an important point. Uh, one thing I also like to think about is that realistically in our lifetimes, how many of these kind of war in Europe, tightening cycles, high inflation, post pandemic type of stuff, like how many times are we going to go through this in our lifetimes? Like, two three at least as far as yeah. tightening cycles go like how many tightening cycles are we likely to see in our lifetime especially tightening cycles off the back of the crazy excess that we saw the answer might be one you know the, the answer genuinely might be one whatever the final answer is it's single digits for sure and it's not a very high number uh so i, th I think it's best seen as an opportunity in general uh, and it simply becomes a question of how precise do you want to be with um allocating to this type of stuff and what's your volatility tolerance and drawdown tolerance to um your bags basically and i've also got some weekly time frame fud on that chart that i don't want to talk about because you know it's fud <laughs> yeah i agree with everything i was saying absolutely everything well the the big unknown to me is if inflation doesn't go straight to deflate like deflation we may have a crap economy we have maybe a stagflationary environment or whatever for some period of years how, how do I identify and use history to our advantage? Identify what is attractive in that environment, right? Like what do people want to own? Do they want to own precious metals? Do they want to own, um, trying to read what you're writing there. Please go up. <laughs> yes. Um, so like, do they, do they want to own assets that are outside of that system? Or do they want to own like companies that, have real profits and can outpace or keep pace with inflation. I don't know the answer to that. I, I do know we had a huge swing worldwide towards wanting to own companies that don't showcase profits, that don't have dividends, that don't, you know, like are kind of 
built for uh, low inflation, zero rate worlds. And that's not the world we live in right now. And that repricing seems like it could uh, hurt. Listen, Ledger, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. You will eat the bugs. You will live in the pod. You know, all that type of stuff. <laughs> what can we buy to get past that, though? Right? You know, like yeah. to 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 maintain buying power, to main to to be able to survive through that tenure. Not not everything is down only. I don't think. I mean, cannot like something has to go up, whether it's like commodities or I mean, something is gonna go up. It's just a question of what, yeah. right? Um, and but all yeah, our all our macro larping will be worth it if we catch on to an idea like before the rest of the world. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. the bugs that we have to long, bro. It's the bugs. Right. The bugs. <laughs> it's the bugs. They're scarce. Yeah. <laughs> Big supply. Oh yeah, oh, this roach man. sandwich is delicious. This new world order. <laughs> I hope I get my Amazon credits for heating. You <laughs> know, like that type of CBDC my Amazon future. Credit. Good lord. <laughs> No, but TA wise, um, we can we can quickly talk about TA. I think because I mean we haven't. You, yeah, go on. What you got? Uh, I mean, if if I've got if that good support slowing down the selling at least. Um, I think anything below the support, and we're kind of in the dumpster, right? But as long as we're on that support, like for the bulls, right? I think there's there's good bear and bull setups out there. I think for if there's a really good bullish one, which is basically just okay, we will never lose one thousand. Um, and we're always like, this is the support, the last support before we lose 1000, because if we do um, lose this one, I don't think anything in here does anything. Uh, so like, this is the most significant support before we lose 1000. So that's kind of like your invalidation around there. And then your target has to be either like previous resistance, which is also like, like a pretty good trade already, or even higher if you kind of like a, a maxi, if maxi, I think like that setup, that kind of long-term setup is not the worst one. So if you're like a bull looking for a setup, this is like a decent one, I think, on the higher time frames. Obviously, completely depends on whether the the, the macro situation goes to shit. Um, but it's just like a good risk reward setup that I think has some chance of playing out. Um, so I'm looking at that. Obviously, I mean, I talked about XRP shitload in the last few weeks. That looks good to me. Um, the only reason why I've been selling is basically because I'm like, okay, if the traditional markets take a crap, everything is gonna. And um, what I basically want for a trade setup, right? And I might be completely greedy on this, is that I want to see the S and P. I'd like, I don't want to see it, but um, I'm looking for the S and P to kind of take the market lower um, in the next month or two, and then I want to buy that dump. And I want to buy a bunch of ETH and a bunch of XRP, basically, because XRP still has the narrative, I think, um, of court case, like them winning the court case. So the moment we would start dumping, I think people would lose sight of that. And that gives for a good entry. Um, and ETH's just been surprisingly strong in general to me anyway, like on the Bitcoin pair. I expected after having lost this range high in general, just the merge PA that we had, I expected more downside doesn't really like hasn't really happened it's just been sideways um so i see like some strength on the ETH btc pair that i didn't expect to be there i'm seeing strength on like a few altcoins actually but i don't want to buy them right now because i think we're like in this weird situation where just a tiny bit of uncertainty could rock the market and um 
I want to be in a position where I can buy that. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Um, but if it doesn't happen, um, I'm going to be sitting there without a position. I'm going to be fuming. So like for the people that want to take a position anyway, with like having that risk, I think he's like a really neat trade just from like a trading perspective, just purely trading, no narrative, no nothing, just trading. So yeah, there you go. It's also terrible. Hmm? <laughs> it's also terrible. What's your target there? It's like 1800. Yeah, that's like 1850. It's like a like risk reward wise, it's like decent. Trade. No, it is. It is just on it's, a relative basis. It's just sad that our targets are so low. Yeah. Like this. We, we could have just walked away. Well, you did walk away. Um, <laughs> I could have just walked away. <laughs> Yeah, yep. that's a very kind of it ain't much, but it's honest work type of setup, isn't it? It is. Mm -hmm. But then again, forty percent is forty percent, so that's true. 40%. That's what the market is right now. You know, just sort of you take what you can get and you don't hold it for a second longer than that. Um, very mercenary, very PvP, very level to level. I don't think anyone is swing really kind of swing trading anymore in the traditional sense. I think breakout trading has been completely kind of deleted off the face of the earth, given how unrewarding it's been. And volatility compression plus mean reversion just makes you lose all hope in that type of trading, which which is fair because that's kind of the, those are the kind of setups that don't do well. Uh, but generally speaking, a lot of your kind of bull market toolkit hasn't been particularly useful um, for a while now. But there is a flip side to that. Like there will come a time when macro is like going to be, and I tweeted about this, I think it's really going to be next cycle's version of bear market PTSD. So once kind of crypto does its own thing and risk is back on and so on and so forth, you're going to have people looking at the 10-year and bonds and the dollar and gold and all these cross-correlations and everything, uh, while the market just masters up only, even though it's like overbought and, oh, look at this housing metric that I'm following and so on and so forth. Like there will come a time where it just simply won't fucking matter anymore. Uh, and and it's you know you have to abandon all pretenses of sophistication when that is the case. Um, it, it's just I don't think we're quite there yet, but I, I hope we're at least in the second half when it comes to where well, we, we can only talk. We, we should and only talk about crypto and macro lapping becomes a distraction. Some people will inevitably get stuck in that mindset. Uh, I just don't think if you're in this sector that that's kind of uh, where you should be long term. I, I just really think you know we caught. A, some bad timing and a historical kind of tightening cycle or whatever and the macro the bigger flows were macro and we became like this one trillion asset so that was the kind of price to pay uh, but when crypto does crypto things and the risk is back on and there's dispersion in the market more broadly um hopefully and i think the, at least this is my base case the, the kind of looking at macro will be a distraction more than anything and we'll be we'll be, we'll be back to memes and 50 iq stuff and announcements and you know, what Trabuco's tweeting or Caroline, if she ever gets active on social media, all that type of stuff, you know, return to tradition type of things. Yeah, she doesn't seem like she's going to uh, take much to Twitter. Um, I I do wonder if there'll be an opportunity for quality to outperform ever, <laughs> or if we'll just race straight to the dumbest stuff in terms of where the upside will be. But that's just daydreaming about future upside. We're not there today. I mean, some of the narratives have aged so poorly about what this bear market would look like because you'll remember like decoupling was a big one you know a lot of the on-chain stuff and s2f being sabotaged which is hilarious was a big one but another big one was actually dispersion right 
Um, and we, we, we was, the thing is, people kind of saw that happening during the bull market, sort of sector outperformance and just kind of much more clarity as to where the bid was and what the market cared about. And they extrapolated that to the bear market as well. That you'd see similar type of dispersion uh, when the market goes down. But, but your liquidity just got, you know, we had a crypto credit implosion. But even before that, liquidity was siphoned off at such a rapid pace that there was no room for that whatsoever. Uh, and there was no kind of dispersion really to be had, certainly not the type that a lot of people were advocating for. I mean, there were certainly good sp spread trades to put on. But in terms of like secular sectoral outperformance relative to everything else, you know, like, oh, layer ones are going to do this and dog coin, you know, that simply didn't happen. So, you know, if you want like a future bull market or even bear market checklist, uh, you know, as the asset class becomes more sophisticated, whatever that means, uh, I mean, you should hope that dispersion is a part of it. But cynically speaking, if it's not really happening in legacy during stuff like this, uh, well, what, what chance do we have, right? Yeah. Well, should we leave it there? Y'all have anything else to follow up with? Well, I think it's good. Market's boring. Um, just take some take some time or not. If you, I mean, long term positioning, I think is decent in these kind of areas. So, kind of figure out what you what you want to do over the next few years. Like, do you want to be a trader? Do you want to be an investor? Do you want to do whatever? And then kind of act on it and don't kind of deviate from it because people kind of do stupid shit when the markets are like this. And the best way to guard yourself from it is just knowing what exactly you are and what exactly you want to do and in what kind of position you want to be in. This is going to age terribly, but mine, now that I've said it out loud, but I, I personally don't get too horny over early week rallies, especially Monday rallies and early month type of stuff. I think seasonality for October is much better than it was for September. So that's kind of your bullish hopium, right? The kind of peak fear in markets, ledger 200-week moving average. Uh, we su survived September seasonality at support, and now it's October. That, that's the kind of uh, horny version of uh, expectations for the month. But I, I guess purely week-to-week -week speaking, uh, I, I, I try not to take kind of momentum continuation setups that form on a Monday because there's plenty of time for those to pull back, form a lower high, whatever, revert. Uh, early on during the week, you know, or later on in the week, even if your kind of weekly time frame read is correct. Uh, so now that I've said that, it's obviously going to go up only for the entire week and not revert at all. But yeah, generally speaking, uh, big Monday or early, um, like new month, new candle type of price action, I generally like to give it a bit more time than I would ordinarily before aping in. Fair enough. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate you being here. Thanks to you, Don and Cred. Appreciate y'all as well. And thanks to FTX for being our partners. This is the end of the ad. Let's go to the beginning of it. You can go to weeklyopen.com slash FTX. Trade there today. Dollar cost average in or out. Whichever plan that you have, you can stick to it at FTX. Go to weeklyopen.com slash FTX to check it out. Thanks so much for being here. We'll catch everybody next time. Bye-bye.